0: Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so that you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can hear other great stories by athletes. You can also find them on sportcalgary.ca. For more content, look at the Facebook page, Reading the Play, and to get the latest news, including new episodes, follow on Instagram at Reading the Play or myself at Legacy. In this episode, we get into an in-depth conversation with Canadian Olympic volleyball player TJ Sanders of the senior men's national team as he joins me on Story Island. The all-world setter shares some of his favorite international experiences as well as his time at the summer games in Rio back in 2016. We also dive into his decision to train full-time at the FTC in Gatineau, Quebec, instead of playing out his university career. This is one of the brightest minds in volleyball. Really appreciate his insight into the game playing for our country at the highest level. You definitely don't want to miss out. Well, it looks like TJ's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Tyler James Sanders making an appearance here on Story Island. Excited that you're on board. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really good. I just uh,
1: biked quite a ways and most of it was uphill, so <laughs> I'm feeling um,
0: vibrant. I'll say that. But that's part of your rehab program, right?
1: Yeah, I think like most of the time I'm in the weight room, but then kind of on my off days, uh, my trainer still wants me to, you know, get out and be be somewhat active, you know, a lower heart rate, but still kind of keep moving. Um, so yeah, it was,
0: it was a part of that. We'll get to more of that in a bit here, but uh, excited to get into your story, Your journey actually begins all the way back in Manitoba. Where were you born and where did you grow up? Yeah, so I was born in
1: Winnipeg. um, And then when I was about eight, um, just about nine, um, we moved to London, Ontario. Um, So I'd kind of say I grew up a little bit in both. Like my early childhood uh, was Winnipeg. So I still have a lot of memories from from those kind of days. And then kind of my
0: teenage years and everything were out of uh, London, Ontario. But you didn't start playing volleyball till later when you got to London, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not until London. Okay. And what were the different sports that you were playing growing up? Yeah. I kind of played like a little bit of
1: everything. My dad was a phys ed teacher, uh, in Winnipeg. So I literally just grew up in the gym and that's like all I knew. Every birthday party I had was just get a bunch of kids in the gym. Every like kind of event that's, that's even after school, like after whatever I'd happen to be, like whether it be daycare or elementary school or whatever, I just go over and, and be at the gym all day. Um, and then moving to London, um, was when I kind of got of that age where it was more like competitive sports and stuff. And I mean, I, at that time I was huge into basketball. My dad was also kind of a basketball coach and I was like, you know, I'm going to go to the NBA. That's going to be my path. That's what I was kind of committed to. But I mean, at the time I was, I was also playing competitive soccer. I was playing, uh, golf at a reasonably high level. I mean, I won a couple city championships in badminton. Um, I, yeah, basketball was like a a true love of mine. And then obviously kind of got hooked on volleyball, but it was basically like whatever sport was, was in front of me, I started to dive into.
0: What position did you
1: play in basketball? Point guard? Yeah. Growing up, I was like super small. Like I was always like very short and very skinny. Um, so yeah, that kind of like forced me into, into a point guard position. But as I grew up, like in later on in high school, I was more of a, a shooting guard or a two, I guess, because like, you know, setting is very similar to a jump shot. So it's sort of like translated quite nicely. I actually remember when I was first starting to set, my left hand would always kind of fade off the ball as if I was taking a jump shot. It was, really? that was sort of what it kind of looked like. Um, and I kind of had to work on that. I wasn't taking a jump shot. I was setting to position
0: for, you know. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a funny anecdote. So you then you grew up in what era for basketball like for Raptors yeah uh, Vince Carter like for sure before he was
1: like betrayed all of us no no, but I I was in like the early like Vince Carter days because I mean even when I was in Winnipeg um, I was a pretty big Vince Carter fan so then we were moving to London and I was like super excited about it pretty close to Toronto I went to a few games insanity posters on the wall insanity posters on the wall oh yeah jerseys I got, I got a pretty hilarious one that I can, I can show you at some point. It's like me in like the Vince Carter jersey with his headband with it, and I was just like soaking it all up.
0: <laughs> so how did you get your start in volleyball then?
1: Yeah, so my sister, I guess, started off. She started playing, or I guess tried out for a club volleyball team, and that was kind of the first time I'd ever seen volleyball at any level other than like, you know, maybe a phys ed class or something like that. Um, and I would have been in grade... What would that be grade six she would have been in grade eight I believe um she's two years older and then yeah I sort of just saw her play it and was like okay and, and at that point I was sort of joining any sport right I was I played every sport you could think of including hockey and being Canadian I have to like you know say that I'd, right but you trying a high to level, try but, the new sport of volleyball <laughs> yeah exactly and I okay. and I sort of just saw it and and I thought it was pretty cool and so the next year I I tried out for four city the club out of London as well and and played my um elementary school team as
0: well and stuff like that what was your initial draw to the sport though? What about it was attractive for you? You know, I think there was a lot of like pretty unique skills. Like I,
1: a lot of things like for instance, soccer, a lot of it was running and running was very basic and you know, everybody does it and and all those sort of things. Um, And I, and I just think with volleyball, there's a lot of new things that I'd never tried before. Like I'd never tried to bump a ball. I'd never tried to volleyball. I'd never tried to hit a ball. And it was all these kind of techniques that I were quite foreign to me. And I, I think just kind of the the challenge of figuring that out was was kind of interesting right off the bat. Um, I mean, that being said, also, I think being a basketball player, it was like an easy transition. The kind of movements I'm doing, the lateral movements, jumping, all those kind of things. The jump that, shot. Yeah, the jump shot right? set yeah. thing that yeah. I was doing. It was all kind of made sense. Um, and I mean, I, I also grew up in an area in London where they're quite notorious for volleyball um, in like the kind of Oak Ridge area. So there was kind of some hype around it as well that, that kind of drew me to it. Um, I remember when I was in grade, I think it would have been seven or eight, we went to see like the senior high school um, finals. And I just remember it being like the craziest thing. One of those games where it like goes five, really tight game. And I was like, wow, this is pretty
0: sweet. Like I'm I'm, I'm pretty into this. I could I could dive in a little bit more. You know. I read somewhere that you also had a chance to work at a, a big, uh, volleyball championship that was held uh was it in london then right so world league in in 2007 i sort of like attribute this to why i kind of
1: switched over from basketball to volleyball as like my kind of number one um because before then i was for sure again same thing like gonna go to duke gonna go to the nba that, that was like right what my college k of, exactly that was that was <laughs> that was what my my plan was kind of looking like and then in 2007, um, World League came to London, Uh, a big reason because Paul Durden is from London. He was kind of like a national team hero kind of thing. And he was in like the later end of his career. So they brought it to London. Um, Yeah. And I remember they were playing Finland and I was one of the little like sweat wiper guys. And I just remember seeing it and being like, holy man, this is another game, something that I'd never experienced. I mean, I'd watched... NBA games live I'd watched NHL games live so I kind of knew what those sports were all about but volleyball was just wide open I didn't know what that level was I'd seen you know maybe university volleyball or college volleyball but I'd never seen like men playing and it looked Mm. like they're jumping crazy they're swinging so hard and I was like wow this is this is pretty ridiculous and I remember um another kind of infamous story is I'm on my way home or driving home after that first game. And I I remember telling my my parents, I was like, you know what, this is it. Like, that's what I want to do. It's not not basketball. It's like, I want to go play for the national team. And you made that switch so easily? I think it was just, I was in such shock of the level. And I mean, I, I loved volleyball. It wasn't like I was... You know, basketball is the only thing I was thinking of, but sure. um, it sort of took over most of my time. Like I'd be outside working on my jump shot and my crossover more than I'd be working on anything volleyball wise. And yeah. kind of at that point, then I'd be outside working on my, you know, back set and working on different like cut shots or something like
0: that. I'd be, I'd be yeah. more into volleyball on, on my kind of like spare time. I've, I've heard, you know, whatever your passion is, what you fill your schedule with. And that's probably it, right? Yeah,
1: and and I think it's that's a great way to describe it. I think after that match, all of a sudden, because even even just little things like I would be researching on YouTube. Okay, like what other volleyball can I watch? Like how do I see high level volleyball? That was like so incredible that I kind of
0: got addicted to it a little bit.
1: At that point,
0: YouTube wasn't really that big of a thing, though, was it?
1: It it wasn't really, and actually, so for volleyball too. Like I, I look at nowadays, you can find like any game at any point. And, and watch it whenever. But I remember I would literally be watching, you know, certain highlight video like four-minute highlight videos, just like over and over and over and over again, and like try and watch each kind of play of what's going on, unable to watch games. And I remember right around that time as well, the FIVB was coming out with like technical videos. Okay. So there'd be like, you could click like set to position four, and you could watch like, you know, a bunch of different setters set to position four kind of thing. There was only a couple of them. Um, but I remember I'd always like check like every day if there was new ones being released. I had no idea what the schedule or whatever. It seemed quite random. Um, but I remember watching these things like way too much. I was watching them like constantly. And then, I mean, translating that to like me hitting a volleyball against the couch and me like jumping and touching the whatever and trying everything that I saw. I was, yeah, it was, it was really like I was addicted.
0: So you started setting right away? or did you even try playing outside for a bit or libero
1: right i i think just at the time i was i was kind of too small to play outside or anything like that like my first year when i would have been in grade seven uh playing club like i couldn't get my hand over the net i couldn't get anything over the net like i would jump as high as i could Mm. and nothing would go over the net so i mean i was kind of forced into that role um at that point there wasn't many liberos I i think early on um and i think just with that sort of again that basketball kind of like jump shot thing i hadn't A little bit of like a
0: background in in that motion. So setting came a little bit naturally. What did the club scene then look like in London? And what was the landscape like for you to play volleyball at a competitive level uh, as you're going through your high school years? Yeah,
1: like Forest City was was the club there, the only club there at the time. And it was quite notorious for being pretty good provincially. Um, I mean, London had always had like pretty good volleyball players and stuff like that. Um, So I had always known that I wanted to play for Forest City, um, as well. My sister played played okay. for them. Uh, I think at that time that was the only club, boys and girls. I'm not sure there's anything else. I mean, now it's changed like quite drastically. Um, but at that point, yeah, we had guys coming from you know outside the city to come in and play. I, I guess yeah, it was basically Forest City was if you if you're a high level volleyball player, that's that's where you played. And I mean, it was it, I had some awesome experiences there. I mean, uh, that sort of dictated a lot of what my future career would look like i think when i was you know 14 u 15 u a a lot of us were small like we were kind of underdeveloped and as we grew we got a little bit better got a little bit more noticed i think then we went to our, our first nationals which was in calgary uh for 16 u and we finished like pff, i don't even know what it was it was tier two or three mm. some somewhere quite low that you know we were disappointed by but it's not like we were you know we we're probably finishing like fourth in provincials or something like that um so we were like an okay team. And then our 17 new year, I believe we finished ninth at Provincials. We had a couple medals from different tournaments, finished ninth at Provincials, went into Nationals, um, ranked like, I don't know what that would be equal, like 27th. We were Ontario nine. So not, oh, not very high. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we ended up winning Nationals. So that was kind of like a big turning point for um, us. I think it was more of a, a little bit of a confidence piece. I think we always were, were a pretty quality team, but you know, I didn't really know how to put it together and in big moments and important moments and then uh you know we go in and we win that national championship and then 18 u it was like nobody could touch us like I, I think we won all the games won provincials like easily um and then we ended up finishing third and nationals losing in that but it was just funny how it seemed like just kind of a, a little bit of a confidence piece kind of clicked and it was like kind a tsn of, turning point hey? yeah it was it yeah. was like we we actually believed that we could succeed because when you're from out east at at that time for me, it was like the out west teams are better. Like okay. we won't we won't beat them. Um, I actually remember our first game uh, at the seventeen U nationals was against I believe it was Cal Air, I think that was the team, but I, it was a Calgary team. And I remember us being like, okay, well we have no shot. Like this is. And then after that first game, we kind of beat up on them pretty good, and we're like, oh okay maybe you know we maybe we do something maybe yeah. this is because that there was just sort of this perception of you know. Out West will always win. That's just the way it's going to go. And then, yeah, I think after us like kind of winning that, that year,
0: it was like, oh, wow, apparently not. It's like Friday Night Lights when Permian High has to go play the big teams in Dallas, the big dogs, right? And there's like, again, that perception and it's all in your head that I don't know if I can hang with these guys. But when you actually get in a match with them, you're like, it's actually not so bad. You know, I think in sport, the psychological side is something that you have to work on. It's a skill you need to train.
1: And mm. up until that point, we didn't really have any ability in that area. Um, and like the only real lesson we learned was that after we won, we can. We are a team that can win at the national level. And it was pretty cool to be a part of because I and I mean, it, it's unfortunate because I was too young to really appreciate it at the time. You know, I can only now reflect back and be like, wow, that was a pretty unique transition that we had. Um, but it seemed very natural. You know, it was like, okay, now we win. Okay, clearly we're good enough. We weren't in control of it. It was just the fact that we happened to perform very well at at one tournament. Um, But I think, you know, a lot of kids could learn from just the concept of you need to put in some energy and effort into the psychological side of the sport because ultimately you just want to be able to put your best out there. And a lot of times if we're going in playing a team from the West, we're not because we're expecting less of ourselves and expecting more from the other team. Um, And I think those kind of pieces are something that,
0: you know, we're still working on at at the highest level now, you know, as well. That's not even mentioned, though, at that level, right? The psychological side, or is it, uh, has it changed nowadays?
1: Yeah, you know what, I I would sort of assume that it's not. I'm looking back on when... When I was playing, definitely not when when I was. It was sort of just try and figure it out and and become the best player you can be. Right, it was Um, more technical. It was more technical, yeah. And I mean, even, yeah, it's true, even tactics at developmental volleyball. Because at that time, volleyball is such a complex sport and there's so many split-second things going on that if you don't have the technique, you can't really dive into other things. So, I mean, it's valid that the developmental process focuses more on technique because you know without it you're gonna kind of break down. Totally. If you don't have tactics but your technique is flawless, you could still win at a 17U level or whatever it happens to be. So I, I do think it it's something that should definitely be, you know, mentioned or brought up in, in the discussion of developmental volleyball, but you know, in reality the focus is going to go towards technical stuff because it's such a difficult, it's a demanding sport technically. Right.
0: So at that stage, 17U, 18U personally, what were kind of your goals with where you wanted to take the sport and how far did you envision things would go and, and how big was your dream at that point? I think um, kind of like I touched on in, in 2007, I would have been,
1: I think I was 14 then. Um, and I literally was like from that point on, it was national team and, and playing professionally. That was sort of my thought process was. I think it's, it's for some reason, it must be because You know, I was in the gym so much that sports was going to be the direction that my life kind of went. And then, yeah, so it would have come when I was 17, 18, same thing. Like it was national team, whatever. I didn't really have any proof that I could make it. Like, Mm. I mean, even, you know, 14U to 16U kind of thing. I was a, I want to say kind of an average player, especially with my size. I was so small. It's not like I was the kind of guy that was dominating anything. And then 17, 18U, same thing. I was like a pretty good player, but there was that sort of, I guess, expectation for being able to make it, being able to do whatever I have to do, whether it be like, you know, watching more of those YouTube clips and, or like, you know, working on my psychological side of things or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah. My dreams were definitely, definitely national team and pro. I didn't really know what that meant. Okay. I didn't really know if it was like, oh, I want to go. like I, 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 of course I heard of like world championships as a big thing. Like going to the world championships was a kind of a big title for me i guess i could say um so back then I would, I would think of stuff like that but but it was more just like also kind of a little bit like i just wanted to be better than everybody else <laughs> there's like a little side of it where it was like i don't really know how to measure myself like if i'm 17 you thinking okay hey, i want to make it to the national team the only thing i can really compare it to is my peers right mm-hmm. so i think at that time it was like okay hey, i gotta be better than everybody else and bettering myself those are like kind of the only two um
0: terrains that i could try and become an expert in so what were the steps that you took at that age to get yourself prepared for the next step, for the next level?
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say a lot of it was almost like unconscious. Like it wasn't, I I had that big image and kind of dream in my head of national team and, and making it to whatever level. But I just was so addicted to it and so passionate about it that I was, I was. I always had a volleyball in my hand. I would be at home, there's like marks all over the wall where I'd like volley the ball or touch the or like jump and try and reach something or I'd hit against that couch and work on different things and watch those videos. And it was kind of this paired passion with curiosity Hmm. on how I could do things. And then, you know, you got your club practice a couple times a week and I'd try them out and see, see how that kind of happened. I didn't realize how much that was kind of affecting creating that dream into a
0: reality, but I was, I was just caught up in it. I just really loved it. Getting set for post-secondary, what were your thoughts like in that process of, do I go Canada? Do I go U.S., NCAA? You know, take me through that journey. Yeah, so I kind of at that point, I still like the,
1: the end goal was national team pro. Um, yeah. So I was making a lot of my decisions on where I could go to a quality team and develop. That's kind of what, what a big overarching like principle was that I had. I would have wanted to go to the NCAA like that was really enticing. Um, I didn't really have, I had like a little bit of contact with Pepperdine, just like small conversations where it would have still ended up that I'd have to pay for school and it would have ended up, you know, there would be a lot of kind of things in my way. Um, Cause it is expensive. It is crazy expensive. And I mean, it's, it it was also at that time transitioning from the NCAA to the national team also seemed a little bit more obscure because a lot of the guys had just done their kind of CIS and then, went to the national team. So I kind of saw that. And other than like, obviously, Fred went to uh, Fred Winters. He went to Pepperdine and and kind of transitioned. But he seemed kind of more like an anomaly than than anything else. Um, So I saw a lot of guys going to the CIS. And I mean, again, it was like West is better. So I wanted to go West. Again, because I, yeah, I I just sort of realized, okay, I want to play where the best volleyball is because I want to make it to this
0: step and then the one after it. And that's going to kind of require me to do that how did schools come about for you? Did you have to contact them or did they reach out to you? Uh, did you have a, a mixtape going? What did it look like?
1: This might be bad, but I'm, I'm not actually sure how, how all that went down. I, part of me thinks that I reached out to them, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. All I know is that when I was sort of thinking out West, um, I had a lot of connections throughout the Manitoba uh, kind of like community, I guess you sure. could say. Um, like, Russ Paddock, the the branding coach, was my dad's student teacher or something like that. So we had that connection. Um, and then obviously just being from Winnipeg kind of thing. So I did. I went on a recruiting trip to Manitoba, Winnipeg, and Brandon. And they all like went well. It was kind of like one trip, went out there, checked them all out. Um, I never really considered schools in Ontario. I mean, being from Ontario, I, I, sure. I was always like, I'm kind of looking to go wherever the next thing is. But I did like McMaster was kind of the team at the time um, that was sort of dominating, I guess you could say. Um, And so I did go on a recruiting trip there. It just didn't really match up setting-wise. They already had like two setters that were kind of around my age kind of
0: thing. So at that point, you were looking at situationally, team-wise, where can I step in right away? I was kind of viewing it as
1: like what's going to help my development the most. I think I need to go to a team that's going to compete nationally. Like, you know, they're going to be one of the top teams. But also... If I'm sitting on the bench, unless it's behind, you know, a a B national team guy or a junior national team guy where maybe I'm gonna learn something. I yeah, I I was looking to play. Um, again, though, it it there's a lot of variables there, you know. Like if there was maybe an older mature team and there'd be like a younger kind of crew coming up, maybe I'd wanna join in the younger crew and maybe not play that first year, but then eventually like I I would I don't think it was just one thing where I needed to play or we needed to be one in the country or something like that. I just was looking at it as Okay, where's my best sort of opportunity um, and then eventually decided on Manitoba because there was a lot of uh, kind of like junior national team guys uh, younger guys where when I would be later in my career there that we would be a little bit more mature and like a quite a veteran team and, and potentially quite good and I'd be it was in Ken West it's like historically quite a good program Um, obviously I'm from Winnipeg, so there's kind of that draw there. My dad graduated from University of Manitoba. We went and like saw his graduation photo and stuff like that. So there's kind of a lot of, a lot of things that kind of just made it feel right. Um, but ultimately I did see it as, you know, there's a lot of junior national team guys, a lot of potential here. We
0: could compete at a high level. Um, and there's potential for me to kind of step in and be the guy right away. So stepping into that first year playing under Garth Pischke, What was your role like, and did it match up with where your expectations were coming in?
1: Yeah, so my role, it it kind of bounced back and forth. Like, I, um, there was another setter there who was an older guy. So, I think he would have been in his fifth year at that point. And we kind of like flip flopped a little bit. Um, You know, there'd be like a couple months where I'd be starting, a couple months where he would be starting, that sort of thing. Um, I think, like, expectation wise, I think we, I mean, to put it bluntly, I don't think we were as good as I thought we were going to be. Okay. Um, I just saw a lot of potential for us and I didn't really see that translate on court. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed. And then I also, I mean, being an athlete, obviously I want to be playing and, and competing and I sort of thought that I wasn't quite making the progress I was wanting to make and wasn't given the on-court opportunities to do that. So yeah, I think like we ended up losing to Calgary who ended up winning that year, uh, in the first round of, of Can West playoffs. And I mean, that was fair. They were a good team. It was like kind of like, okay, we're not there yet. Um, but I, then I sort of tried to, had to reevaluate, like, do I see this still progressing along with kind of the path that I've, I've kind of laid out for myself? Which again, wasn't like I didn't sit down and write out this path. It was just, I
0: kind of felt it, you know, I was kind of just going off a of feeling. You were talking about how you and the other set were just flip-flopping back and forth. What does that do psychologically, mentally with how you approach the game? because when you're playing obviously that's you're in a different headspace than say as a reserve but also not knowing really right when you would be starting
1: yeah and and i think at that time too i was i was a young kid you know i was yeah. like 17 um and i mean i just i just wanted to play and again having that sort of aspiration of you know being the best in the world going to this that and all that stuff i you know not playing just almost was unacceptable for for myself and my own level and things like that um and so I was kind of in a frenzy to try and figure out, okay, what do I need to do? I think in reality, if it, was, if it was a guy that I knew was like untouchable and much better than me, I would be like, okay, now I need to like just learn from him. That's, that's the reality of sports sometimes. Like there are going to be players that are, you know, at a different level and you get to feed off of that. Sure. Um, but I sort of felt like at that time that we were probably at a very similar level and I just sort of looked at it, you know, I'm, I'm a first year guy, you can invest in me and I can kind of feed off of that. And so I think it flip-flopping back and forth, you know, it, it obviously bothered me. Like, I, I would have loved to play every game. Um, but ultimately, like, the reality is it's sport and I am I just, you know, follow the leader. I follow the coach. So that, that was kind of just the the reality of, of what my situation was. I think, again, if we would have done better, you know, maybe I would have perceived it a little differently. I, I think see. the fact that we weren't succeeding um, no. and I wasn't really getting the opportunity, um, it kind of... Yeah, it, kind of, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I guess right,
0: and that was the lens you were viewing everything through.
1: Totally, totally, and and I do I do believe as well. Like, like in those points, like if I was a if I was a coach now to go and do that, I would really try and communicate why. Like, like the fact that I'm not playing is is almost neither here nor there. Like that's again out of my control. Yeah, um, but the, we do have some control around me understanding why I'm not playing. Oh, you know what? Maybe my ball to position four isn't good enough and this team we're playing, they have weak position for or position two blockers. And so we need to match or whatever, you know, if, if there could be something like tangible that I could latch onto and then work on, because ultimately, again, having that end goal being very high, I want
0: to be continuing to progress towards that. Um, and I just didn't really see that. Right. So after that first year, you were already reevaluating things and questioning whether that was the right decision, whether or not, um and then ultimately what did you decide to do
1: yeah so i that was totally it i kind of after we finished that year it was a little bit disappointing you know losing in the i think that would have been what the quarters of the can west it's kind of like, like, like yeah. you know that's not a very successful season in in where i'm wanting to go right like the the guy that loses in the quarterfinals of can west it's going to be tough to become the best player in the yeah, world right yeah yeah um and i think also at that point several other players i think there was four other players that decided to change and leave the school so i think that that kind of weighed into it um and then yeah again i was just kind of looking okay where is the best opportunity for me to develop and, and become the player i want to be and and i looked back at my recruiting trip to mcmaster and it was sort of like they were a little bit more concrete in sort of the expectations and and how the development would look you know dave was like a super could be able to pinpoint each kind of step you'd need to take.
0: Um, and I think that just really attracted me to, to potentially moving to that program. But you didn't uh, look at any other Canada West schools like U of A or...
1: You know, what? I, I di- it was open. Like, I mean, I, it wasn't like I was not gonna go to any schools. Um, it was just, I didn't really know how that would look. I, I didn't really know if I was gonna... I, I saw McMaster and was like, okay, that had a lot of things that I was looking for. Um, I mean, I'm sure if U of A or Trinity would have reached out, I would have like obviously considered them as well because they seem to align with, with right. that path as well. Um, there's a big factor being, you know, a kid trying to make a decision on, on what that's going to look like. And, you know, it was like, I wasn't in the place where I felt like I could be greedy and like, okay, I'm going to like weigh my options and, and pick the best. It was just like, you know what? I think Manitoba maybe doesn't really fit in with my kind of process. But I see McMaster
0: potentially filling that a little bit better. Okay. Um, and then yeah, I kind of went from there. Right. So what was that transition like for you to the OUA? Yeah.
1: So then then I
0: went over there and I obviously had to sit out a year because um, that's just sort of the, oh, the, the trans- rules, the transfer rules. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Um, which again was was kind of a weird thing. I I look back as well and it's you know it's interesting that I had these aspirations yet I was still willing to kind of sacrifice a year. I'm not really sure what <laughs> what drew me into that. Yeah. Um but I again I did believe though that then maybe I'd get, you know, more time to actually develop, right? It was like the whole year was purely based on development now it wasn't performance based. Um and I mean Dave being a pretty dialed in guy into that developmental process. It was I always had somebody in the gym with me that I could I could work on new things and stuff like that. Um but it was difficult. I mean not playing um was obviously a little bit of a burden uh and at this point too i was so it was after my manitoba year i did my first year of the junior national team and then after my redshirting year my second year of the junior national team and i think that's when i also kind of realized that maybe i did really know what i what i kind of needed because i just didn't play all year and then made the junior national team again and became the captain and was like performing at a at a decent level even though i had just not played all year So I think that kind of triggered something in my brain. Like, okay, wait, maybe I do know something about my personal development. And then I think that third year uh, of university, which would have been the one that I played for McMaster. Mm -hmm. Then it kind of got to the same thing. Like I I just really wanted this level to be extremely high, especially coming off the junior national team where we went to world championships. And I'm, again, like striving for a level. I, I, I honestly wanted like a level that was beyond me so I could see that and catch up. You know, I didn't want a level where maybe I thought I was one of the better players. Um, I wanted something like you know maybe maybe a little bit more. And we actually had like a, kind of an unsuccessful season. I think in I think in the past I don't know ten years, Max won the OUA's like nine times, and the one time they didn't, it was the time that I was there. <laughs> so I mean, common denominator um, adds up. But I, but I do think at that point I was also again just like a kid, and I was pretty stubborn. Like I I sort of thought, okay, I know volleyball I know how to perform at a certain level get us to a certain level get myself to a certain level um and I kind of was like demanding in that way and and obviously that can cause some some issues
0: (laughs) how did you feel in that year you played for McMaster um where did you take a step developmentally and with your game
1: yeah you know what I I think I was so focused on the level maybe not being what I wanted it to be. Yeah. um, That I actually like held myself back, you know, like I think, I don't know, I would say if I'm like reflecting back on, on certain years of my, that sort of progress, it's funny that like I'm taking all these steps and measures to improve myself. And then in moments like that, not actually, you know, putting the energy or effort into that. Right. Um, So I would say like, I'm not sure out of all the years, the last 10 years, you know, that year, I think the year that I had, that I had to redshirt yeah. in between, then it was like, okay, just develop. Like I really worked on my strength. I really worked on, you know, different aspects of how I was setting and techniques and things like that. But then the year I actually played, there was such a focus. And I and I do equate this to, you know, kind of being a kid and being like, oh, the level's not there. Like I need it to be better for me to be better. You know, there's obviously an ego at play there, but the progress wasn't there for what I, for the process that I kind of imagined. It wasn't, wasn't what I wanted it to be.
0: But you're also mentioning that you'd, at that point, second year with McMaster that you've already spent two years in the national junior national program as well um how did you get your start there and how'd you get your foot in the door
1: yeah so that was pretty much um was it the first time yeah so the first time they picked the team through the NTCCs okay um so that would have been like the provincial team competition or I guess yeah like all the provincial teams competing Um, and basically it was picked off of we just played the tournament and like Glenn was there and all the coaching staff and they just picked the team based off of that and I mean yeah so it was pretty much kind of just luck I had a good tournament Um, you know we did we did pretty well as Ontario Um, then I got picked onto that team and I oh those are like the greatest those like give me goosebumps because I remember um kind of when they they picked the team and everything was getting decided and everybody is so nervous like we are cra- i'm like i was gonna ask sick you what to pressure. my stomach like it's crazy i mean pl- it was weird though because as we're playing i wasn't as nervous okay to the point of like okay they're about to make the decision because then it's out of your control right i right. think when, when you're playing it's like okay I'm i'm here to perform like they're gonna pick players based off of whatever they pick players it's not really up to me i just have to perform um and then, yeah, when, when they ended up like kind of announcing the team and all that stuff. And I was, I remember going back and we basically just had to go back, grab our stuff, shower. And then we were getting in vans and, and going to the training center. And I remember that just being like the craziest whiplash of like, what? Yes. Oh my goodness. I couldn't, I can't believe like this is actually kind of manifesting itself. But yeah, that was a really exciting time. Like kind of my first, my first kick at the national team. Yeah.
0: And was there like a stamp of approval or like a bit of a confirmation that you're like, yes, I'm on the right path? Yeah, I would say that that, and I think that's what kind of sparked my
1: kind of drive towards international volleyball versus uh, CIS volleyball. Okay. Um, Because I think, again, like, in my opinion, didn't really have a successful year at Manitoba, but then went in and still performed with the provincial team and was able to make the national team. Then, like, really developed that kind of summer. Then, you know, obviously sat out a year. But then the next year, you know, went to world championships, you know, really, again, developed myself and then didn't. So I sort of found there were some gaps in, in the CIS. Maybe not the game, but just in how it related to, to my own progress. And then sort of because of that, I mean, at the time, now it happens a lot more where younger guys are, you know, maybe going to the national team or going to whatever a little bit earlier. Totally. But at the time, it was a little bit um, like taboo. Um, but fortunately, you know, the the international game... And I think the people around it realize that it's different. Like that that game is different. If I'm a 19 year old kid and I'm playing at a CIS level, it's different than the 19 year old kid in Poland playing in the plus Liga or in Italy playing in the Syria. Like it's a different feeling. And I think that that really drew me into I'm, you know, there's these expectations and goals that I have and I'm really trying to figure out how to align that.
0: And Yeah, I think then taking that next step was necessary. So then that realization really became heavy on you after that year at McMaster then when you realized I could be progressing a lot further training full time versus bouncing around from university to university. Is that right?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, I sort of then my perspective shifted like, okay, how can I get good enough to play in those leagues? That's sort of all I was thinking like, okay, Okay. now the next step is I have to play in in leagues over in Europe. And then ultimately with the national team, if I want to develop, Uh, because obviously the national team program is amazing to develop players, you're playing all these other high level players, and then getting into a club, you're going to be in a different environment. I think CIS sports are have their value, like there's there's some great players, like even right now that are in the league, but you know, the highest level of volleyball is far from that. Mm -hmm. So you need to make decisions and and strides if you want to reach that that end level especially for me i mean being a setter a lot it's it's very different if i was just a super physical outside maybe i could play five years and and then i don't know Uh, but i think being a setter i needed to needed that
0: experience professionally and and you know with the national team to be able to develop as i wanted at the time though was it an easy decision to just step to walk away from university sports because that is such a traditional way of going about things right yeah,
1: it's funny though, but I guess the the simple answer was, like, yes, it was it was easy because I saw it as like I don't I didn't really want to go to the traditional route. The traditional route is I go five years, I join the national team, and we're twenty fifth in the world or something like that. Yeah. That's not what my goals were. My goals were not to be twenty fifth in the world and have a CIS medal. My goals were to be one in the world, and I think in order to align that with, you know, the the process of it all, it was I need to do things different and and unusual so i never really even like leaving manitoba i know my parents were like what Ah," like you know kind of a little bit skittish around that and then i think even just maybe the general public was a little bit concerned about it and then you know leaving mcmaster kind of the same thing thing, it was people were like whoa this is weird but in my head and, and kind of in my gut feeling it was like no there's it seems pretty obvious that if I want to get to there, I got to do these things to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, So it did, it was a little bit natural. Like I, I kind of, it was the only direction
0: that I saw it going. What did those conversations look like with your parents? Did you have to explain yourself fully?
1: Well, actually it was kind of good. Like I think, um, well, first of all, they're like number one supporters. They, They would never have said like no or like do it differently or whatever. They would definitely question it. Um, And I think it was the first time because I remember when we first had that conversation and I had like All these notepads of why I want to leave and why I should stay and like how it's gonna kind of all look and and we've talked about this since as well and I remember like the conversations kind of coming up and I could basically just convince them quite easily and then they were like, oh, okay If that makes sense, then we're not going to try and push you in either way You seem to like kind of understand where you're where you're trying to go. I think the education piece they were questioning but even from their perspective, and obviously from mine, I wasn't, I wasn't playing CIS sports for an education. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, um, that's kind of like taboo to say, like, oh, I wasn't going there for school, but I really wasn't. I, I got to be honest, like I, I'm very binary. Like I'm going to obsess about whatever I'm going to obsess about and kind of doing both just wasn't in that wheelhouse. It was like getting maybe some people are better people than me and can do both and get to one in the world. But just at the time, I I that wasn't where my passion was. It was it was still with volleyball, um and kind of pursuing that to the end degree. But it was it was pretty cool to see them kind of give me my leeway, which then ultimately gave me that confidence. The second time at McMaster, when I when I went to the full time center, um it, again it like I could convince them quite easily, and and they were, you know, supportive of that.
0: You make your decision to join the FTC full time. Did you have to shift your mindset at all? Really on, okay now this is truly my main focus and now everything we're all in here at this point i i think i think at that point i already kind of was all in yeah um and i
1: saw a lot of the everything else more as distractions than than actually kind of helping me and i also think a, a big kind of reason towards that decision was there was a great group of guys going there it was basically like the junior national team two years older than me so like graham Vigrass and you know, all that like Rudy and Mark Houts and Jay Blankenau and Nick Ho. Like there was a lot of guys that are, you know, still with the program that were going into that full-time center. So that kind of made the decision a little bit easier as well. Like I knew again that I was going to be competing and playing with guys that would better me. Um, And I just, I just valued that so much.
0: Describe what it's like to train full-time there though. Day in the life.
1: Yeah. Well, I think compared to, The university life where it's like you know they they sort of need to give you time to work on your studies or to go to class or to to whatever um now all of a sudden yeah it was like you're basically having two days all like every day that's just sort of what the reality is it's like monday to friday two days and then you know maybe there'll be a red and white game on saturday or something like that but i love the philosophy behind it because it's all of a sudden like okay we're only here to develop So because of that, we're going to take way more risks. We're going to like lift way harder because we don't have to actually perform at our highest level right now. We're here to just basically build the foundation of what your pro career is going to look like. Um, And I found that like really enticing early on. Um, And then you kind of get into it and it's like, wow, this is actually really difficult and exhausting. And like at some points I'm in a lot of pain, but I think I always really like deep down enjoyed that. I sort of felt like, oh, okay, this is, this is exactly kind of aligned with what I've wanting for the last three years now i kind of have it and i knew that you know we weren't playing very much and all those kind of things but again you know at mcmaster that second year or that first year at mcmaster um i wasn't playing and i could still notice that there was i was able to develop it was a pretty cool experience and i mean then there's also older guys um you know like adam simak was there for a while dustin schneider was there for a while there's a lot of older guys that were around so you got the vibe of what it would be like um to, yeah play against men because i was still just a kid trying to play so you got a better idea of what that
0: looked like um, and then that kind of progressed into to what my career eventually looked like. You talked a little bit about having a bit of an ego. Did you have to check that at the door? Because you were, again, competing with some of the <laughs> top athletes in Canada who had the same goal as, as you, and some of them maybe t- trying to take your spot.
1: I think, Well, I think a big part of it was like, now, I, okay, it, it is aligning with the process. This yes. is this is how I want it to look. So I understood that that meant failure. That meant mm-hmm. I'm not going to be the best there. I think there was moments where... I am the best, or like, let's say in my head, I'm the best in the gym, that means that I'm not gonna develop the same way. If I show up to the gym and there's 20 guys better than me, it's like, okay, I better step up my game, right? And that, for some reason, really like attracted me. I, I liked that. I liked the fact that I was not at the level yet that I needed to be at, and I was gonna be pushed to get there. So, I mean, I never had, I had a different kind of ego. It wasn't the kind of thing where I came in and expected to be better than everyone. Right. It was almost, if I was better than everyone, I got complacent in a way and I I kind of got stubborn.
0: So maybe there's more of a competitive edge to it.
1: Totally. Well, the fact that, you know, there's all of a sudden now I'm competing against older guys and I can then prove to them and beat them. That's exciting. That's like what sport is all about. And like at that point uh, of
0: my career, that's kind of, I I love that. With the FTC, there was definitely way more emphasis on the training, uh, the lifting and spending time in the gym portion of it right
1: yeah there was a huge like the first kind of big block was a a big like hypertrophy phase so it's all about yeah like building that strength because in theory you know volleyball is a sport that that a lot of people don't realize how hard it is on your body Mm -hmm. um you think of hockey guys are getting like hit all the time it's like oh that must be crazy hard but actually like most of the time you're on the ice you're just gliding around right every you know, every minute, there's a lot of impact going through my entire body because I'm jumping and landing, I'm torquing in a certain way, I'm twisting, I'm changing directions. There's a lot of like force and inflammation that comes from that. So that was kind of the beginning of, okay, you need a foundation if you want to be able to survive overseas or if you want to be able to survive uh, national team summers. Also because the national team really wants to prep you so that you're ready to go play pro. And if you go play pro and you don't really have that strength, like that foundational strength, And then maybe you don't have a great strength coach, you know, that could lead to injuries or it could lead to, you know, you not kind of fulfilling your potential. Yeah, it could shorten your career, really. It totally could. So I think that was like a big emphasis right away. And a big reason that it's not in potentially CIS or professional things or something like that is because it's performance based. Mm. You know, I can't be lifting five times a week if I got to go win a game on Saturday. Right, like you're gonna, you're not gonna be jumping as high. You're gonna be more fatigued. You're gonna like have those kind of consequences of
0: working that hard. But with the full-time center, you get eight months to do that. So then, what did tournaments and what did performance look like with the FTC and with the national program? So we went. So with the full-time center, we went to
1: Argentina. Um, it was kind of like a preseason tournament for them, where there's a couple Argentinian clubs, there's a Brazilian team, stuff like that. And then that would have been in our first half, and then in the second half, we went to France, where we, they have their kind of version of FTC, so we kind of trained and competed with them a little bit.
0: What did you observe training in those different places in Argentina and France? How did they do things differently over there?
1: In France, it's like very clear that they're like crazy technical, but it's also a part of their culture. Like There's professional leagues there. People have watched volleyball from a young age, so it's easier to be better technically Mm. if you're from France, if you're from Italy, if you're from Brazil, because you've watched volleyball since you're two Mm. on TV, right? I started watching volleyball when I was in grade seven and it was my sister. Yeah. You know, there's a very different... And not on TV. And not on TV. So there's a very different um, understanding of how to sort of play with the game. That was another thing. When we went to Argentina, there's sort of like creativity behind what volleyball is. In Canada, especially in, in, you know, if you look at sort of our highest league, which is the CIS there's one style of play. It's not like each team has a huge variation where if you look at you know our team versus Japan playing versus Russia playing versus Argentina, those are going to be completely different philosophies of what volleyball is supposed to be hmm. and really weighing in their strengths and weaknesses. Um, so that first kind of trip down to Argentina, and I mean, I'd kind of experienced this through the junior national team as well, um, but you kind of got to see the the creativity behind volleyball. I feel like Canadian volleyball lacks a little bit of that philosophical like creativity behind it it's more okay who's going to be the biggest touch the highest swing the hardest which i mean plays out great if you can be that person Mm -hmm. um but you know then you go to the world stage and there's going to be the russians there's going to be the bulgarians there's going to be you know in reality sometimes we're not um so i think that that was that was kind of cool to see how how creative they were um and then also so we went to france and it was sort of their full-time center i mean a lot of the kids there are like 17 Mm. so most of the guys At our FTC, like I was one of the younger guys, but most of them are already like 22. Yeah. So we're a little bit behind and it's sort of emphasized um, that we could potentially be a little bit behind. They're training, building that foundational strength, doing all this stuff at 17. That's very
0: different than somebody doing it at 22. So at what point were you ready to then start your pro career? And was that a decision that came from you personally? Or was that a decision that came from the FTC and uh, the brass there? it was more of okay I've done one year of FTC I now kind of have that
1: foundational developmental work Um, I need to go like put that into action and and put that into gameplay Um, for my first year so it would have been the next year after that right um, I didn't get my contract until quite late I I think I signed in October or something like that I missed like the first game or two
0: normally when do people sign It, it sort
1: of depends on where you're at but I would say like kind of Obviously, I'm at a very different level now than sure. I was was then. But I mean, um, usually like early summer okay. is when, when most guys are going to sign. So I didn't have anything for a long time. And then just things kind of worked out for me to eventually go to the Netherlands and, and kind of start my career there. So. so
0: that's where you started was in the Netherlands.
1: Back in my day, when I when you would start your career, you'd have to go to a team that, you know, at the time wasn't very good. That was just sort of the reality. Canada didn't get a lot of respect internationally, hmm. in volleyball-wise. Um, now... A lot of young guys are getting amazing contracts. It's awesome to see we're finally getting valued for how we can actually perform. But back then it was like you know I had to go to a team where again I might be the most experienced potentially like best player um, and deal with that sort of same egoic structure that I had to deal with you know in the CIS and I found it I found it quite difficult. But at least at this point I just knew it was kind of a sacrifice I needed to make and I knew I was still edging towards the same same kind of path.
0: Being a foreign setter is difficult uh to get a pro contract like they're always going to look in-house first so being a foreign setter how do you market yourself effectively
1: i think i think the biggest thing is i kind of have to get my name big so i need to keep performing at a really high level in big tournaments we need to win world league bronze medals i need to go to the olympics um and then ultimately get more and more experience because uh, i mean most teams in most countries will look for in-house setters, but if they can get a really experienced high-level setter, you know, they'll be willing, willing to kind of do that. And I think, so I think actually the biggest piece in there is the experience. The okay. fact that now I've played in the Olympics, I've played, you know, we got the World League Bronze, I've played in good leagues. A lot of teams will be excited to have me on board because of these levels of experience that I've had. Um, because ultimately, you know, a setter, it's coming down to the decisions you're making um, and your ability to kind of control the team. It's not necessarily like, can you score 25 points a game? It's it's how can you kind of create this culture on the team with them? And experience is going to be a, a big feature of that. So I, I mean, fortunately, just with the national team, that's kind of building. It kind of coincides my pro potential. Um, and then because I've had some success professionally as well, um, it kind of opens some doors.
0: What's your craziest uh, international professional volleyball story?
1: craziest story well there's actually there's actually quite a few but we'll, we'll go through a couple so one probably the coolest moment of of my career was the first game of the olympics okay. for like such a range of reasons i mean you know i'd I played at world championships world cups like big games all that sort of stuff um but then all of a sudden canada was actually going to be watching you know in reality like canada doesn't watch when we're at world championships like nobody kind of cares Um, but then all of a sudden we're at the olympics and everybody's watching everything at the olympics um and we play the u.s and we kind of had their number for a while we ended up beating them like not long before um and that sort of thing they're two in the world it's like a notorious olympic clash you know canada the u.s it's like we all we all know that that's kind of a kind of hits home a little bit um and i just remember like the amount of adrenaline that was pumping through my body was, like, ridiculous. I I would love to have, like, gotten tested at that point because I don't know, the ranges were crazy. And then, yeah, going into that game, you know, we win the first set, the crowd's just going, like, berserk. A lot of Brazilian fans, and they're obviously cheering for us because we're the underdogs and, like, that kind of thing. Um, and then win the second set, and win the third set, and we win 3-0, and it was just, like, oh, my gosh, what wow, there literally is no, it's an endless possibility of what we can do at this tournament. And I just think, I remember all of that kind of coming together was like, wow, that was a, a really hit home. Um, and then I think other ones like winning our World League bronze, like winning a medal uh, at an international tournament it's was- a big deal. Was pretty crazy. And even just the fact of all of these experiences kind of changed the demeanor of the team. The same way that when I was, you know, we go to 16 new nationals and we come whatever, and then you go to 17 and you win 18, you're pretty confident now we've gone to the Olympics and beaten these teams. We've gone to world league and medaled. We're now going into tournaments to win now, right? We're not going into tournaments to see if we can compete. Um, which I think was really important for us as, as like a whole to develop. Um, and then I think the, the coolest professional story would be last year when I was in Poland and we won the Polish cup. Um, that was pretty wicked. I mean, we were a team that on paper was quite good. We had a lot of Polish national team guys and we were on like kind of a winning streak at the time, but our team wasn't one of the four like big name teams mm. in, in the Plus Liga. Just the vibe in Poland. Poland, like, is addicted to volleyball just as much as I am, so it like worked out real nice. And even the there's kind of a funny story. So my at the time my girlfriend was out uh visiting me and we played Zaxa in the semis. And Zaxa over the last like four years have been like dominant and they've kind of won everything they've got on huge winning streaks. host team. Yeah, yeah, just like the, for sure, the favorites of every game they went into and even like the cup in general and the league in general. And we had played them, it might have been like a couple months before, a month before, um, and we had lost quite badly. Like it wasn't a great game and they're clearly better. So we we're trying to plan her travel schedule because she was leaving on the Monday. The finals were on the Sunday and then the semis are on the Saturday. And I was sort of saying like, you know, I don't even know if you should come. Like we're probably not going to win and we'll come back Saturday. Like it might not be worth it for you to travel all the way out there right. and then kind of go back. Basically saying we're going to lose. Yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed that I said that. but I was like trying to be, you know, realistic and okay. We got kind of slapped by them a month ago. Like I don't really see it happening. And then we ended up deciding, okay, she's going to come. And even if it happens, if she just trains down, because where I was, was quite isolated. It was a far trip to kind of everywhere um but we're kind of like okay let's go for it she'll come uh comes down beat zaxa we're all like whoa okay obviously like huge celebration whatever then we have scraw like another powerhouse notorious polish team and then go out and kind of like beat up on them as well um and win the cup and it was just a really cool experience where if you could tell my mindset just by being like i don't even know if you should come like it's unlikely that we win this game if we're gonna go off just like the vegas odds it's probably we're, we're not going to make it through but we ended up making the decision for her to come and then we ended up like winning the whole thing and i was like all right well <laughs> good thing that worked out <laughs> and even the same i don't know it was something like we had booked we had booked it where she was going to drive or she was going to take the train back on saturday or something but then all of a sudden we made it to the sunday game okay so we had to book a flight i remember sitting in the stands watching the other game the other semis booking her a flight <laughs> for sunday night Anyway, just one of those things where <laughs> we were kind of like thrown off and ended up winning the, the Polish Cup, which is like, which is huge in Poland. And I mean, you know, it was, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience through whole, the whole thing.
0: I was going to say, did you not learn anything from beating US 3 nothing at the Olympics? Apparently not. I mean, I... I never lose I, hope, TJ. I, I know. You sh- you don't ever lose hope. But I mean, I, after
1: that, we went on this crazy winning streak. I think we ended up going for 16 games in a row in, oh. the, in the Polish leagues that we won. And yeah, like I've... I knew, we, I knew we kind of had, us, had it in us, but we just weren't playing at the level we could. And I think all of a sudden, the stage of the
0: Polish Cup gave us the opportunity to kind of rise to the occasion, and then we did. How do you decide on what part of the world you want to play in? Is there some selfish goals of, oh, I want to travel and see this part of the world, or does that not even come into play and you're just evaluating based on the offers that you receive?
1: I think there's kind of both. I mean, there's definitely places where... My, I know my quality life would be better, um, yeah. you know, like just whether it be like, you know, you're living in a city that's beautiful versus, you know, somewhere in the middle of Russia or something like that. There's there's definitely, you take that into consideration, you know, and the older I'm getting along in my career, you know, it's as much about that process and the progress of, of what my career is going to end up looking like and living a life I want to live, you know, so there are for sure... Like, when I was in Poland, I lived in uh, Gdansk, which is, like, a beautiful town on the beach. Um, Polish beach, like, sounds weird, but trust me, it's, it's really beautiful. Um, and same in, like, Izmir in Turkey was gorgeous. Um, Lugano, Switzerland, it's, like, a postcard. So, I mean, you get to you get to live in a, a few cool places, but, I mean, I've also considered places that aren't like that, and it just sort of kind of depends. I'm basically gauging it off of, yeah, it, it does depend on what, what offers are kind of coming in and all that sort of stuff, but... I will also tell my agent where I want to go um, and things like that. So we kind of feed off each other. And I would say that now as I'm getting older and as you know, I'm <clears throat> my girlfriend will probably come with me for a good chunk of it and, and things like that. Like there's more things to consider than, than before when I was young and it's like, Hey, I just want it to be the best team, whatever the best mm-hmm. team is. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, you get older and life starts kind of, you know, other poking, variables poking its head. And yeah, exactly.
0: And also you want to make sure that you play at, a high level playing against some of the best competition in the world. So you're probably evaluating which are the best leagues, which are the best teams that I want to be playing and playing against.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think that's probably the biggest. Okay, It's like, okay, what league do I want to go into? And then I'm going to choose a team like potentially based on location or potentially based on whatever. Um, and then kind of go from there. I, I think, yeah, like there are sometimes like even, even this past year I was getting offers from, from places that were, nice offers, but you know, just not in leagues that, that I really felt like would help me develop just not in leagues that maybe at this point in my career, it's not where I'm at. Maybe later on when i am kind of made my biggest push to reach one in the world
0: kind of thing. Maybe after that, um, I start going to those kind of places. As you're going through and navigating your pro career, how do you balance the rigors of professional volleyball life with the demands of the national program?
1: Yeah, I would actually say that's one of the sort of most difficult things because we're on the go for 12 months of the year. Most competitive athletes, most professional athletes will have an off season. Um, And unfortunately, we don't really have an off season at all. So it's really just a lot of maintenance. Mm. It's rarely are you having moments where you're really trying to, you're really trying something new or you're being creative. It's like, I just got to make sure that I can keep playing. Um, because you know, like last year when I finished in Poland, I came back, I had like, I don't know, it was maybe a week. And then we went back to Poland for our first week in a world league, you know, you get a week turnaround. Um, and some guys it was even worse, but yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a struggle and it's something that players are really trying to, I guess, kind of battle with the FIVB to try and shorten the summer, try and give us, cause ultimately the quality of volleyball will go up if they do that mm-hmm. right now playing 12 months a year is just breaking guys down. And then, you know, we can't really perform at our highest level. Or, you know, countries have to choose which players they're going to send to certain tournaments. Because maybe there's just like, oh, like we have our older veteran guys. They can't travel
0: five weekends in a row and play three games each weekend. That's just unrealistic. It's taxing. Yeah. Yeah. TJ, what I really appreciate about you is that you have a mind that's always wanting to grow, always wanting to learn, always wanting to improve. So as you've been exposed to some of the best players in the world, specifically at the center position, what have you learned from them that makes them some of the premier players in the, in the world?
1: I think one factor that I, that I kind of learned that I wasn't really expecting to learn was that they all come from such different environments. So I can't really take what they're doing and replicate it the same way because I come from a different, envi- I come from a Canadian culture where we're not really born into volleyball, we don't have professional leagues, we don't have whatever. Um, You know, you you look at an Argentinian setter, all of them play super fast, they have crazy fast hands, they move well, it's just their style of play. You look at a Russian setter, they're big, they're going to be big servers, big blockers. So it's sort of really trying to define what my style is going to be and really running with that. It's not I'm trying to replicate... Um, what another setter is going to look like. I mean, for sure, when I was younger, I was watching a lot of other setters and and taking kind of techniques or, or even like tactical things that they're doing and implementing it into my game. But ultimately, it's, okay, how can I do the best with what I have and, and what's that going to look like? Like, what is what is really my style and how am I going to, you know, potentially help us become the best team in the world with that style, you know? And, and I think that's what all the best setters do. They They go into a team and they can kind of, act as the glue that sort of creates that
0: culture creates that offensive system Hmm. that ultimately leads to success Hmm. you were also talking about the olympics and you touched on it earlier what did that olympic year look like for you and training for it and when did you first learn that you were going to be taking part in the olympics down in rio in 2016
1: yeah that was a total mess of a year i um So that professional season, I had signed with a club in Montenegro um, just for Champions League, which is like the European kind of league. So I was only going to play, I think it's like six games or something like that. And then I would look for another contract. Okay. That's really short. I just, yeah, it was really short. I mean, it's six games over a longer period of time. So they would play their league games. I wouldn't be playing. Oh, I see. And then I would just play the Champions League games because it's one of those things where they would have in their league foreigner rules. But then in Champions League, there's no, you're allowed as many foreigners as you want. Anyway, so I signed this contract. I really wasn't getting any great offers. It was just, this team's pretty good. Playing in Champions League is obviously, it's the best, you know, opportunity for professional volleyball. And so I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then, you know, come January, I'll sort of look for for whatever else I can get. Maybe go to like summer for playoffs or, or whatever it happens to be. And uh, it was like two days before I went there, I ended up hearing back from the team. And the president was in jail, uh, so they didn't have any money. Cause now all of a sudden, like all their money's tied up in in all his stuff. So I was like two days before I was supposed to go and the club's like, but you can still come. And I was like, well, (laughs) I'm, I don't think so. I don't think I like how this is like supposed to work out. Um, so I eventually just, yeah, I said like no to that, obviously. Um, and then was like back on the hunt, but I mean now all of a sudden it's October, right? And I'm trying to look for a team and obviously all the teams are full. Right. So I'm basically just like trying to figure out what I'm going to do, whatever, just looking for something. Um, And then for all of December, I went to Turkey just to train with uh, like Graham was there at the time and and to train with Glenn uh, just to get ready. Because in January was our Olympic qualifier. And I mean, really wasn't liking the idea that I'm not going to be playing at all leading up to this Olympic qualifier. Um, So I ended up going to Turkey and, and just still, again, it's just practicing. And then we have our first Olympic qualifier, which was in January in Edmonton. Uh, and then another, like for sure the lowest point of my, of my volleyball career, because you know, we, we go into that tournament we're for sure the favorites, we, I honestly, I forget who we played, uh, before the finals, but we like win our kind of early games quite easily, all that stuff. And then we play Cuba in the finals. Um, and I mean, Cuba is a team that we've beaten the last like eight times. We're like feeling pretty good. Like definitely the favorites We're at home, all these kind of things. And it was like, the game was over in like 15 minutes, three zero for them we're not going to the Olympics. It was like the biggest whirlwind of all of our hopes are on the line. This is it to just getting like slapped in the face and your dreams aren't coming true. And I just remember, I remember all of us after that really going to like a, you know, a dark place. It's like, wow, we can't even pull through when we need to. And we obviously are the favorites Um, And then you know, for me personally, not having a contract, I'm like, wow, volleyball is really not panning out how I Mm -hmm. how I kind of envisioned it. Um, And then another thing, I had like another contract lined up um, for a pretty good team, ready to sign it. Like next day, get a call, it's not going to work out anymore. Then I go and I sign another contract, and like six hours after I sign that contract, another team contacts me and wants me, and I they're. Better, They're like a team I'd rather go to. So I have to buy myself out of that first contract. Um, and then I go to the second contract and I go to Poland. Um, and then I have a great I have a great year in Poland. It was like a fantastic time. I went to the team and they were they were one in 17. So they had won <laughs> one game and they had lost 17 games. But then we won our first five games and I was there. So it was like this big uprising. Like I was some sort of hero, crazy thing because we came in and won five games in a row, and they had only won one game. It's like
0: lunanity or something over there. Yeah, exactly right. You get it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: um, but no, it was really cool, really cool experience. My first uh, first time playing in Poland. Um, actually, a big transition, kind of in that time as well, was uh, the national team deciding to get a team psychologist. Oh,
0: okay. I
1: really attribute like a lot of our kind of like momentum shift in in that period to um kind of us developing you know reflecting a little bit more on, on why things went wrong like we are on paper better than cuba we have beat them eight times in a row why at the biggest moment did we lose 3-0 so badly mm-hmm. you know like what what's going on there and i think it was i think it was time that we had lost we were kind of like unclutch up until that point before um like i remember Pan Am games in the semis we ended up losing to argentina again they're a good team but at the time, you know, we probably should have won. Um, and there was just moments like that happening a little too often if we wanted to be in that top tier of teams. Like if you want to be the team that's competing for a medal at the Olympics, you can't be losing those games, you know. So we ended up hiring a team psychologist um, who was doing a lot of work with us and we were trying to figure out what, what it was going to kind of look like going into our last chance qualifier. Because the last chance qualifier was basically the Asian championship. Okay. And then they threw in like five other teams or something like that. Where did that take place? That took place in, was that, Tokyo? Yeah, it was Tokyo. And that was another crazy world because there was, wow. Well, I should know all these like stats. I don't know, there was, I don't know, maybe 12 teams in it, 10? Anyway, we had to play a lot of games in a short period of time mm. um, against higher quality teams than we had played at our Norsica. So, you know, there was like Poland was there. I believe it was France there. Yeah, I believe it was Poland, France, and then like Australia and Iran, like all the Asian countries. And it just basically became like, we need to now play better than we usually play in order to make this versus we need to play not as bad as we usually do to beat Cuba. You know, like the, it was a very different outlook on, on what it sort of had to look like. And then, yeah, we went in, we had a great tournament. We, you know, beat Iran right away. We had some like really great games with, with top teams. And then eventually it came down to Poland uh, playing Australia and if Poland won, then we were going to go on. If Australia won, then they were going to go on. Poland beat them like quite easily. And then boom, we were kind of all set and ready to go for, uh, for the Olympics. And that was like a crazy experience, especially just the length of the tournament, the length of waiting after that initial qualifier and not making it. But I think we kind of needed that to really grow as a group. I, think we, I don't think we were going to have the success we could have had or potentially had, like with the World League bronze and the Olympic performance. I don't know if we would have had that without losing mm. that game to cuba because when we lost that game it's like okay we really have to face the issues that we're dealing with we really have to dive in and try and resolve these kind of bigger underlying issues we're having bit of a wake-up call or a gut check hey exactly and i think that that's why the whole concept of failure is so important right if you're always winning you're always succeeding you never have that experience of like okay i need to revisit everything that we've been doing and kind of what's going on what went wrong for this to happen it could have went well we played great just keep doing that and we're going to succeed. Maybe Cuba just played out of their mind. Um, but I think we felt like there was a lot of things in our control that we didn't really um, kind of fulfill there.
0: Did you feel extra pressure
1: heading into that last chance tournament though? I think we did a little bit, but we'd already been like hit so low hmm. after the Cuba thing that it was like, okay, hey, this is our last chance. Let's just go with a hurrah. It, and I think just all the all the actual work we were doing with our psychologist made us go in with Even if there is pressure, of course there's pressure. There's pressure in any game sure. internationally. Yeah. Um, even though there is pressure, it's, it was more of an excitement
0: and a almost like a second chance. Yeah. Nice. So coming out of that tournament then, what did you feel that team needed to address the most uh, to, to, to make sure that you guys made a deep run? After we qualified for the Olympics, we did well in that tournament, but it was also the kind of thing where, okay, there's still, there's
1: still room for improvement. I think the biggest yeah. thing was losing to teams that aren't as good as us. And then giving ourselves opportunity for teams that are on paper better than us. I think it was easier for us. Like we had had some upsets against Brazil and against the US and all. That. It's pretty, in the psychological sense of sport, it's pretty easy to be the underdog, right? You go and you get to just bomb serves. And if you miss them all, oh, we're supposed to lose anyway. When you're playing a team that you're supposed to win, you know, then all of a sudden every serve you miss is worth even more. It like hurts even more, all these kind of things. So um, I think our ability to. Eventually do that and we got a great example because right after that we were in World League and at that time we were in the second group. They had like restructured it all so we were in the second group with the teams from like 12th in the world to 24 or something okay. like that. And so we got to play a lot of these teams where we were we were the best team in that group. So it's like all of a sudden now we get to play all these teams where we should beat them. And it was really cool because then throughout that whole World League we just were like 3-0, 3-0, 3-0 3. Like just mm. beating up on everybody. Um, ended up winning that you know, and I think it was the kind of thing where we had realized, okay, now we're at the level where we can consistently play and win those games when we when we have to, and then we go to you're going into the Olympics being like we're going to play these teams that are ranked higher than us, but again, now we have this, we can be the underdog and and compete at that framework, and then we can also be, you know, the favorites and still win in that framework. So I think we we developed more of a resiliency in in depending on what the other team was, um, and I think that was really important for us because then all of a sudden, you know it was keeping that kind of open mind going into when we're playing the States. Then we're going into like all these other games. Yeah. And then it was like, it was quite a ride to go for that world league second group where, I mean, we're playing teams that aren't at the level of the teams of the Olympics. So we should be winning, but we're just like winning Mm -hmm. every game. And then to go in the Olympics, win
0: that first game. It was a, it was a nice ride playing in the Olympics though. You probably play against a lot of the players on the circuit anyway, right? From the pro level. Yeah. So, I mean, you're at the Olympics, it's basically like any other tournament, you know, like it, it is the
1: Olympics. The only real difference is that there's only 12 teams. And a lot of times, um, you know, like world championships, there's 24. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's very similar to other tournaments. It's not like we're seeing teams that we've never seen before or things
0: are that different. Um, it's only just the ambiance of the Olympics that, that really make it unique. Right. So tell me more about the ambiance. Describe that whole experience for you, TJ.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think it was really interesting. Again, so we did have this team psychologist, so it was obviously very important to not get distracted by everything around us, mm. um, and especially because volleyball goes for both weeks, so it's kind of the Olympics are kind of split up into two blocks. That's too bad for yeah, you. Though, volleyball goes from a fan side. I guess, for maybe. sure, it is. Yeah. It is kind of unfortunate, <laughs> and I mean, you want to. I think we were being like really intentional in how we're going to be able to enjoy ourselves and enjoy this like once in a lifetime potentially experience. And yet perform. And I think we did a really good job of that. Or at least for me personally, I I, I thought that went really well. Because I mean, I was also, I was able to see 100 meter final. I was able to, um, it was, it was pretty cool. Like Djokovic is training right outside our thing. I like watched him practice one day. All sorts of things. Like just the fact that you're every Olympian for Canada is like in one building. So we're all like watching everybody else together. We're all like bonding in that way. And it was, it was pretty cool to, really feel the like patriotism and the like even after that first game where we beat the US, I remember going back and everybody was like so pumped for us that the next game against Brazil, a ton of Canadian like a ton of the people from uh, other athletes and people that were working there sure. came to the next game. Um yeah, the the vibe is like it is very much surreal. Like it's a it's an out of I mean the cool thing is is that the Pan Am games when they are in Toronto, they really tried to replicate the physical structure of it all. So that when we went there, we weren't like thrown off kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, So that was comforting. You know, it was very similar to what Pan Am games were like. But then, I mean, yeah, like at at the end of the day, you're still like walking by Phelps and, you know, seeing all these, it's like all these crazy things that happen in, in such a short period of time that you're just like, wow. And then you get to go compete. And I think the cool thing was, is because we had that real like intentionality of how we wanted to, we didn't want to just be there, you know, and, and I know that that's really easy to say, but I feel like we really wanted to compete at a at a good level, and, and I think we kind of proved that, especially with our, like, wins against the U.S. and Italy, and our game against Brazil was quite good. We got to leave there not just with the experience of the Olympics, but with the, like, experience of us competing at a high level, and really, I think, broadening the sport in Canada, because... Like I was saying before, you look at a world championship, you look at world league, there's not that many people watching. Yeah. All of a sudden the Olympics, like everybody's watching because everybody watches all the Olympics. the biggest spectacle in the world. Exactly. So it was pretty unique and and pretty
0: cool to have, you know, Canada really have our back for this Mm. tournament. So coming out of that Olympic experience, what was the belief level, the energy, the overall attitude and, uh, of of the Olympic team of, of you guys as a team? of where you could take this sport, uh, what it could grow to. I think, yeah, post-Olympics, there's definitely like a very real high going Mm -hmm. on. Like it
1: was, like we were all feeling pretty good, but I mean, we did, our last game against Russia was a bad game. Like we had some guys kind of injuries. It was, a lot of things were kind of going, all our games were at like eight at night or six Mm -hmm. at night. And this game was at 10 in the morning. There's kind of these like different excuses, you know, obviously those aren't why we lost the game, potentially why we lost it so badly. But, you know, those aren't really the reasons we lost. But I think we sort of looked at it like, okay, we made all these huge strides. We really, yeah, kind of widened the audience in Canada. But we got to be able to win that game against Russia. Mm. You know, so it's like, what are we going to do to be able to win that game against Russia? And I think because of that, and sort of even in the transition from uh, then Stefan becoming our coach, is it really became one of kind of innovation and creativity. It's like, okay, we can play really sound, clean volleyball well, we might still not beat Russia. So how are we going to beat them? right? We now have to do things differently. We have to change our game. We have to be able to adapt a little differently. Um, and then we, we, I think that actually our strides from the Olympics to that next summer in World League were potentially even bigger than those initial ones because we then became one of the top 10 teams in the world. And then it was fighting for that one spot, right? It was fighting for... And it's a different mentality. If you're trying to fight to get into the top 10, okay, technically and tactically, you have to be at a very high level. Sure. But to get from, we're in six now, to get from six to one, you got to reinvent something, right? You can't just go and compete at a high level consistently and become one in the world. There's too many good teams. Um, That's just not the reality. You have to kind of innovate in some way. Um, And so I think think we did that quite well and, and kind of grew again as a team. And then, and then we're able to get that World League bronze, which I believe like the fifth place finish at the Olympics was huge for volleyball in Canada and mm-hmm. awareness and things like that. But the medal at World League was a,
0: you know, really solidified the growth we've had. But then, yeah, you you suffer a pretty traumatic injury um, at the next Worlds.
1: Right. Correct? So like what that looks like is, is like we're at World League 2017, get that bronze medal. Um, we have Norsica later on in the summer, which I believe is a World Cup qualifier go to that like it was more just for fun at this point we'd okay. already got our world league medal we're like pumped about that um and then we end up or sorry then i end up going to poland to play um have a successful year you know we kind of touched on that the polish cup we ended up finishing third in the league which is respectable obviously we would have we would have wanted to win it but um we we lost like 15 12 15 13 or something in the best of of three series with the team that ended up winning but so I had a good battle there come back we have Nations League we had a pretty good Nations League but we were a little bit beat up um so we weren't really competing at the same level we were when we won that bronze you know we were kind of like like Gord Perrin was was out with some injuries other guys were kind of banged up a little bit Shawan had uh some uh a shin injury I mean Nations League was being used as prep for world championships so we're going through that it's you know, going great. We're not really that concerned. It's not as performance-based. It's to get ready for world championships. Yeah. So then we fly out our, I think we go out like three weeks early from the time of world championships. And we fly to Poland for the Hubert Wagner Memorial, which is a tournament that we played in uh, the year before as well, which is a four, four-team tournament friendly kind of thing. Um, and when we first land there we go to our first practice, I was kind of like, Ooh, like something feels off. I I literally couldn't tell you what it was. If I had to pinpoint, it seemed like my hip, maybe my back, my something, you know, just seemed off. And I literally at first just attributed to like, wow, I'm just getting old. Like that flight was a lot. I just played a full season where we went, had to play a series in the bronze and then we're back for a week. And then we went to Nations League, had to do all Nations League. It was just like, okay, my body's just a little spent. And then the next day after that first practice, we have our first friendly match. And the same thing though, like it's still... It didn't go away. Usually, you know, you're on a long flight. Eventually, after a day or two, it kind of, the pain goes away or the issues you kind of have go away and you start becoming yourself again. And then uh, we kind of do our warm-up for that game. National anthems happen. Uh, And then the game starts and I'm like, ooh, something feels off. I can't really, like, push off my right leg very well. How did warm-ups go, though? Warm-ups went, like, Okay. Uh, I think a big piece was though that we had to like we always do we warm up and then we have the national anthems okay. and then we go into it yeah. which is like you know it's a five minute break so I think part of it was like maybe I got warm cooled down and then went to go kind of be explosive again um, and just yeah something felt wrong to the point where at our first technical timeout so it would have been I think it was like eight six or something like that maybe even before that we might have called the timeout randomly um, I felt like my hip needed to like click. Pot. You know when your elbow, you got to like pop your elbow or something, your knee yeah. or something like that? Totally. That's what it felt like in my hip. So I told our trainer, I was like, you just pull on my leg. Like something feels off. So I'm laying there at her first time out. She's just like reefing on my leg, trying to pop it back into place. I get up and I was like, well, that didn't do anything. Um And I go to go back in and Steph's like, okay, just like come out because something's kind of wrong. So he pulls me out and obviously we're there. It's a friendly match. We're getting ready for world championships. Pulls me out and that was sort of the start of the whole like back issue issue and kind of uncovering what it actually was and and what's kind of been going on. Um, So that was three weeks. That was August 23rd. And that was like three weeks from world championships. So I basically had three weeks to try and get ready for world championships. It was, you know, a struggle. It was slow. I was doing everything I could. We flew in an osteopath. He was like working on me. I was, you know, taking painkillers, trying to do different stuff. And it kind of just slowly got worse and worse to the point where we're at world championships and our first three games were for or were versus lower-ranked teams. So we're kind of like, okay, I, I'm i not really going to play. It. It's not a big deal. Um, I went in like a little bit. Um, it didn't feel great when I went in. Like it, I'm still very immobile. Like I'm moving very slowly. I'm limping. I'm like it's not – doesn't look great from the outside. But we kind of had some hope and, and I'm starting to get MRIs and we're starting to kind of figure out what's going on. And I mean then it was the – I think it was the day we were playing – brazil and you know that morning i i can't really move but we're in like a serve pass and i'm just gonna like set to guys just so i can kind of get that feeling so that i can be ready to if i if i end up playing tonight if it feels okay um (laughs) and i just literally take the ball gets passed it's like two steps in front of me i put all my weight on my left foot then i transfer all my weight to my right foot and like when i put all my weight on my right foot i just feel it like you know kind of go um, and I just like kind of fall to the ground and I'm like, wow, A, that really hurt. B, this is like clearly a sign that this whole thing is more serious than, well, we always knew it was serious cause I couldn't move. But you know, at that point it was like the kind of like hammer coming down, like, okay, you're not playing at world championships. So with that transition to was like, okay, I can't, I can't play. And I basically just had to lay in the back during each game. And it was like quite painful for the entire world championships and then because of that, I had a, I'd signed a contract to go and play in Turkey. Um, and I had
0: to basically cut that contract because I wouldn't be able to pass the medical. Um, How does that work from the pro contract side? You talked about earlier, you had to rescind a contract, you had to buy yourself out. Did you have to buy yourself out for this one or because it was a medical one that it was just nullifying right
1: so so how it works is a lot of the like there'll be a stipulation in there that they will examine me with one of their medical doctors and i have to pass that exam Mm. basically so i mean in theory i could have gone there and tried to pass it um but i mean i couldn't walk so there was like not very likely that i was going to do that and i mean i also didn't want to put the team out and you know they're gonna have to go look for another player i didn't want to have to you know be in that situation where i'm like it's fine and then i might have to push it and get even worse who knows So I kind of just took it as, okay, like clearly my body needed a break anyway, this whole 12 month, a year cycle getting, and then I came back to Calgary and getting all the imaging and things like that. It was like quite clear that things were, were quite bad. Um, and it would be a long recovery. Uh, so yeah, from that point, I mean, August 23rd is kind of when I went down. So that's been a long time
0: since I've kind of been able to play. What were your initial emotions when you got the diagnosis that you'd be out for quite a while? I, so I think all that, all that kind of period was a little bit blurred because we were getting
1: almost like different opinions, hmm. right? So, so they're kind of reflecting on what my spine is looking like and, and what's really going on. And as I was lead, as we were leading up to world championships, there's a few different opinions. And I mean, we're obviously taking the best case scenario from all those opinions. And I'm like, okay, maybe there's a chance, maybe there's a chance. But there was definitely moments, um, when doctors were saying things like, you know, you probably gonna need surgery, there's probably gonna, you know, this is gonna be like a long kind of thing. So there was moments where I definitely broke down. Like I remember right after hearing uh from one surgeon where he was like, Oh yeah, you'll need surgery and like minimum three months you're out. And this was at the time where I'm still trying to play at World Championships, which is like a week away. And I'm like, Whoa, what? And I remember going back to my room and just kind of being like, just devastated, right? Mm-hmm. Like to the point where it wasn't I wasn't consciously devastated. It was like my being was was devastated, you know? Um, so there was like that kind of moment. And then, I mean, coming back here and and getting more like CT scans and MRIs and really understanding what's going on and, and really realizing that all of a sudden this isn't just, you know, an injury. It's potentially a career-ending injury. It's potentially like a life-changing injury. Mm. So really having to kind of adapt to that while I'm also adapting to my identity completely shifting. I mean, up until this point I was a professional athlete and I was the guy that's trying to be the best player in the world and everything who I was, was wrapped up in that. Um, and then all of a sudden I can't walk. So it's not like I, I couldn't define myself as that anymore. And I really had to face the the concept of, you know, who I am, what am I like? What, what do I really enjoy the idea of, okay, what if I am done playing volleyball, what am I going to do? And the fears of like, I I had very real fears of like, well, what if I'm never like passionate about anything again, like I was with volleyball? What if I won't be as good at any, Mm -hmm. like I had a lot of success in volleyball. What if I never have success like that again? And I don't want to be, you know, this person that's just living in my past. Um, so all these kind of moments of really my identity shifting to one of a professional volleyball player. Like I was TJ, the volleyball player to really trying to figure out, you know, what that meant to me and what, who I really was. Um, and I think it's, it's a real blessing too, that I, I got to be in Calgary and like really surrounded by, there's a big volleyball community here, but also just, you know, the community people that I've gotten to know and, and really share like that story with, um, has been pretty cool because, you know, understanding who I am and where that passion comes from. It it didn't come from volleyball, right? It kind of came from me when I always viewed it as like, oh, it was volleyball the reason that I was so addicted to it and excited Mm. when really I was kind of manifesting that myself. So there was like a wide range. There's a block there where I was all over the place for a variety of reasons. I mean, someday it's like literally I've been in pain for two months straight and can't walk like I'm getting frustrated (laughs) or like there's like, wow, when is the end going to be in sight? And then there's the moments where I'm starting to move around again. Um and then maybe I'm walking around a little too much and I start getting pain and I like I remember one time I was we went up to Canmore and literally we I just walked I forget like kind of where we were going. We like drove to kind of the downtown area and then we were just kind of like walking across the street. We've been walking for like five minutes and it's just like, Oh, okay, my back's starting to go, whatever. And I just remember being like, Wow, really? Again. And then I remember another time, um, I was kind of laying there and I went and I sat down on the couch and I kind of had that feeling, you know, when your, your leg kind of goes asleep. I was like, Ooh, my legs kind of going to sleep. And I was like, Oh, whatever. Like there's a lot of nerve stuff going on in my back, whatever that kind of numbness or whatever it was slowly like transitioned into like pressure, you know, like kind of pushing from the inside out and that transitioned into like pain and then into heat. And then I basically was sleeping and like was my entire leg. i had lost feeling like I couldn't feel the touch and it was like hurting a lot. And I, and I remember that's another point where I'm like, holy man, like, what is this going to do to my quality of life? Like, is this something that, you know, all of a sudden walking around is now going to be all of a sudden trigger something like this. Fortunately, that was the only like real aggressive nerve issues that I've had. But I mean, each kind of step throughout the process has, even when I got back in the gym and I'm like the weakest I've been in 20 years, (laughs) it's like, you know, it's a huge ego check and trying to rebuild all of this. Um... But I think I was
0: lifting this in high school. Yeah, no, (laughs)
1: seriously. There was moments where we were like just losing it laughing because I'm like having 10 pound weights and like shaking, you know? But I think all of that kind of happening and and going through all that is like the coolest experience an athlete can go through because I look at it like consider when we lost to Cuba, right? At the moment, it was like so devastating and the Mm -hmm. worst thing ever. But then all of a sudden, because of that, you know, we got a team psychologist. We started to understand ourselves better. We started to grow as a team a little bit more. I think I basically got that exact same scenario, but on like a personal level mm-hmm. where I all of a sudden like, okay, I've only been thinking volleyball and one in the world for my entire life. And then the universe like instantly forced me to pause and reflect on, on what that was going to look like. And, 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 really, and just the concepts of like, why I'm doing it? Why do I want to be one in the world? Like what, what is really motivating these kind of different tendencies that I have? Um, so that's shifted for you then completely. Well, and I'm a big believer as well. Just the awareness of it. Like nothing might've shifted in why I'm motivated, but I now understand why I'm, motivated. Uh, you know, like I, I for sure up until that point, I was quite unconscious with what I was doing, like why I was doing it. What, what was really like pulling me in that direction. Um, and I think because of that, that's why I had those like fears of, okay, what, what's going to go on afterwards and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. And what I would say is probably, if, if things go well in my back heels and stuff like that, probably like a halfway point for my career um, to get this kind of wake-up call as Cuba gave us before the Olympics. Um, I think it's pretty cool um, that I've gotten just a year to kind of, yeah, really reflect on what what the next five, ten, whatever years are going to look like, and I'm, and I'm pretty grateful for that.
0: What have you learned through this process of rehabbing a back injury, and what is unique about rehabbing a back injury as opposed to other ailments and other injuries uh, around the body? I, I think a huge thing is it's legitimately attached to everything. So like
1: it wasn't, you know, if I sprained my ankle, I could still lift up upper, upper body. If I break my arm, I could still go for a run or, or whatever kind of thing. But literally it was like if I, you know, picked up a weight the wrong way, I'm in pain. If I sit down, like it's the kind of thing where I'm in pain all the time, no matter what I do and anything I do is going to aggravate it as well. Um, so I think the concept of it was a very real forced pause it wasn't something that I could still be in the gym and like try and work on stuff it's like I can't stand for long enough to actually do anything Um, and I also think because of that now my comeback is changed into more of a like an entire body reconstruction like I have to start from square one you know if again if I had a just a certain injury in a certain area and the rest of my body could still say fit but I have no aerobic exercise. I have no lifting weights. I have no stretching because I can't go in this. You know, so my entire body was basically shut down for like six months. So that obviously makes the comeback a little harder. Um, but that being said, a little bit more rewarding. Um, and then I also think at this point, you know, because I was playing that twelve month a year season for like six years internationally, you know, things were breaking down. Not even just in my back. Like everywhere was mm, kind of breaking down. Yeah. Where now I have the opportunity to really. Isolate what the issues are and what and what's going on and then rebuild You know my shoulders my knees my ankles like really evaluate where those are at and I can go back with even a
0: You know a better stronger version of myself one of the questions I wanted to ask you was just around your mindset on how did you Turn your focus and belief to yes I'm going to do this comeback as opposed to stepping away from the game Am I going to love it? And clearing out all of those thoughts from your head.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest sort of perspective that I've taken around that is the fact that my identity isn't reliant on this comeback being a huge success. I think if I was putting the pressure on myself that again, like that motivated me back in the day where it's like one in the world, that's the only thing that's yeah. going to cut it. I think if I would have had this, I would have had another major setback if things went wrong. Because ultimately, I sort of see it as I'm going to be trying to do a lot of new things and there will most likely be setbacks throughout the way, whatever, if they are, you know, physically or if they are like just getting back into the swing of things or whatever that happens to be, there's going to be moments that are very unique that I'm not used to. And I think if I was really stuck on that pursuit of, of yeah, one in the world and whatever that happened to look like, um, I think that could be really detrimental. So I think I'm more at the point where I've kind of accepted where I'm at and everything moving forward is just a huge victory. Like it's just a big win. Yeah. And I think because of that, it gets me really excited. There's really no losing, you know, like if I go back and everything goes wrong, it's like, okay, that's just where I was. If I go back and everything goes right and I played 10 more years and three more Olympics and it's like, wow, boom, that back injury really, you know, was a success. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think I've really detached from, from the concept of, of it needing to go a certain way, especially because early on in the injury, I was attached to that. It's like, no, I need to play at world championships. I need to go to Turkey with my contract. Okay, that's not working. Okay, I need to be better by January so I can get another contract. Oh, I need... When there's been so many of those kind of disappointments that I've now, kind of like I said, I've detached from kind of that expectation of things becoming perfect again and a lot of it is out of your control you're probably finding hey eh? oh completely and i mean it's out of my control and if i try and make it my control i will get physical pain hmm. you know what i mean if i try and push it to a certain level i think that's another thing as an athlete early on i was very much like no i'm in control of what this injury is going to look like i can play through it i'm an athlete i want to go play right so it's no no it's not that bad We'll ice it. we'll put some stuff i'll take some stuff and then we'll go um it is proven that That's not the reality. Like my body's basically telling me like, no, no, you don't have control of this. Like your spine is broken. We're going to, you're now on the ground. Right. Like Mm. I think it was, it was very eye opening in such a deeper level than, you know, I didn't realize that I needed that control. Right. I was trying to take it like, you know, you know, it happens all the time. Right. In in athletics, it's like, oh, you kind of sprain your finger or you do something with your ankle, but you're like, no, I'll play. It's fine. i like, keep going. And you're kind of playing through the pain. I sort of just envisioned it being like that at the beginning. Um, And then when it kept getting worse, I kept pushing harder, you know, to kind of make it come back and be better. And all that did was was make it even worse. So I think that's another kind of almost life lesson uh, that I've taken from it is that, you know, pushing through something isn't necessarily going to get you to where you want to be. It might actually, you know, do the opposite.
0: So now that you've had a chance to step back and evaluate the game from a different perspective, Take me through some of your reflections on what leadership has looked like for you uh, over the time. You know, you were already a team captain way back in London, all the way to World League this past year. What has that evolution looked like for you?
1: I think a big part is is basically understanding what the what the culture of the team is going to look like. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've I've been the captain on a team, and I've also been you know in different roles on a team. And I think what real leadership is just understanding what that role is and performing it to your best of, of your ability. It's been pretty neat to reflect on my time with the national team because when I first joined, I was quite young um, and much younger than everybody else. And I was basically considered as just sort of like a baby. Even at, So in 2014 uh, World Championships, I would have been 22 and I was the starting setter at that point. And so everybody just kind of viewed me as this little kid. Mm-hmm. Um and then at this next World Championships last year, I mean, it's only four years later, but all of a sudden now I'm the, you know, one of the most experienced guys. And and it's been a really cool, because it's not so much, I don't know if it's that much of my leadership style or role changing, but the environment of the team changing, Okay. right? All of a sudden I have more experience to kind of give to other players or, or reach from, right? Um, when at the beginning I didn't, so I was learning from other players. And I think that that's just a big part of what, what leadership in a sport like volleyball is going to look like, because there's so many tiny variables all the time that if you can have that experience or almost level of comfort, then it's going to pay dividends. And I think that that's something that now I've just developed in the amount of times I've played and all those little like adversities and failures that you find and you learn about and you grow through. um, Because of that, I feel much more comfortable in that captain seat because it's not so much that I have to go, motivate the guys the guys are motivated if you're playing on a national team you're motivated right maybe if you're playing in a high school team maybe you're not so motivated so maybe a captain's gonna need to you know get in your face a little bit or get you excited or get you whatever but at this level it's not about being motivated it's almost the opposite it's about being comfortable creating comfort for guys because mm. it's so easy to be uncomfortable in, in high pressure situations and i think that that's something that i'm fortunate to have been in a lot of pressure situations. So now it comes more naturally to me and I can almost kind of, yeah, ease the
0: tension a little bit easier. What do you mean by creating an environment of comfort? Uh, Is that through, you know, words of affirmation or maybe it's different for every guy? I think that's a huge thing. It's for sure different from every guy. Like creating comfort might
1: be slapping a guy in the face and getting him excited. It might be words of affirmation. It might be um, even just my own personal demeanor. I think a big thing is if I'm... Really high energy and in their face, they're going to respond to that in a certain way as opposed to if I'm just coming and relaying information. I mean, being a setter, I'm constantly talking with all of my attackers, right? It's like an ongoing relationship. I think there's a leadership role in the moment of yeah. high pressure situations and also the kind of trust building before that, right? Like, I want to have relationships with these guys where if they're doing something wrong or they need to do something different, that when I confront them, it's met with acceptance. It's not met with defensiveness or kind of resistance Mm. um so it's it's it kind of has to be layered in in a different way i would say the big piece though is on court is just more how i present myself in those situations like if if we're in a you know we're up big playing a team that we're supposed to beat and then all of a sudden we start losing what is my body language doing what is my how are my words changing what is my tempo of my words like All those kind of minor details. But people read into that though, right? Oh, 100%. And a lot of times you don't realize that you are. Mm. Like as another, let's say somebody's reacting, you know, in a super anxious way towards me. I don't cognitively know that, oh, that's affecting me negatively. But then all of a sudden I am now feeling that energy that they've kind of given me. Um, So I just think it's important for me to keep that at a certain level because I have those experiences to feed off of. So I am it's easier for me to get into a calm state as it might be a younger player.
0: What's keeping you motivated? What's uh, keeping you putting your nose to the grind and, uh, and giving it everything you have here? I think it's kind of the, the same thing I, I touched a little bit on, like the, the big life lessons. I think that
1: I, I always kind of questioned why I was so passionate about volleyball or why I was passionate about things. And I think in questioning that, it was almost like the wrong, it was the wrong question, right? Um, I think for me, there will always be motivation. There will always be passion where it comes from is from a variety of different places that I'm sure young has a lot of reasons for, (laughs) but um, I think it's more just letting those express themselves. Like when there's moments where I'm my least motivated or, um, you know, performing my worst, it's because I'm getting in my own way, Mm. you know? So if I'm, if I'm not very motivated and not performing well, it's usually because maybe I'm anxious about not succeeding. Maybe I'm, you know, my body's more sore than I thought. Maybe I'm, my relationships are off. Maybe like there's all these other things that are kind of sapping the energy out of that um, motivation. When now I think it's like, if I can just kind of clear it all, I'm going to go to the gym and be excited every day. I go to the gym and, nice. you know, all those kind of things. It's just part of who I am and how I've grown up around sport. It's, it's just related to, all those kind of things and I think we all have that kind of spark it's there it's just you just kind of have
0: to uncover it a little bit awesome well I appreciate the insightfulness that you brought to story island today it was a pleasure having you on and uh yeah we'll be rooting for you awesome thank you man thank you for listening to this episode of reading the play for more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Be sure to check out the Facebook page, Reading the Play, and to stay up to date on the latest RTP news, including new episodes, follow on Instagram at Reading the Play, and myself, Jeremy Lee, at Legacy. I really hope there's a piece of TJ's story that impacts, inspires, and ignites you to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode.